Chapter 3 of Gossip in the First Decade of Victoria's Reign by John Ashton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3 Destruction of Royal Exchange, Sale of the Salvage, Spring Heeled Jack and His Pranks, Lord John Russell's Hat. As a sad pendant to the civic festivities, at the close of 1837 comes the destruction by fire of the Royal Exchange on the night of the 10th of January following. It was first noticed a little after 10 p.m. when flames were observed in Lloyd's Coffee Room in the northeast corner of the building opposite the bank, the firemen of which establishment were soon on the spot, as well as many other of the Metropolitan Engines but before any water could be thrown upon the building it was necessary to thaw the hose and works of the engines by pouring hot water upon them as the frost was so very severe so that by eleven p m all lloyd's was a mass of flame nothing could be done to stop the conflagration it having got too great a hold and great fears were entertained that it would spread to the bank and surrounding buildings the which however was fortunately prevented the lord mayor was present and a large body of soldiers from the tower assisted the police in keeping the crowd away from the immediate scene it must have been a magnificent sight and somewhat curious for amidst the roar of the flames and until the chiming apparatus was destroyed the bells dropped one by one the chimes went on pealing there's na luck about the house footnote it is said that this was the last chime rung End note life let us perish and god save the queen the fire was not completely got under until noon the next day but practically the building was destroyed by five a m and so bright was the conflagration that it was visible at windsor twenty-four miles off and at theden in essex a distance of eighteen miles whilst from the heights of surrey on the south and highgate and hampstead on the north the progress of the fire was watched by crowds of people the following account of the exchange after the fire is taken from the times of thirteen january yesterday afternoon the ruins of the exchange were sufficiently cooled to allow the firemen and a party of gentlemen amongst whom we noticed the lord mayor mr alderman copeland several members of the gresham committee and other persons connected with the mercantile interest to inspect them in consequence of the loose fragments of stonework belonging to the balustrades and ornamental parts of the building being covered over with ice the difficulty of walking over the ruins was very great and the chief magistrate fell more than once receiving sundry bumps the lofty chimneys standing appeared to be in such a dangerous condition that they were hauled down with ropes to prevent their falling on the people below the iron chests belonging to the royal exchange assurance company could be distinctly seen from the area inserted in the walls ladders were raised and they were opened when it was discovered that their contents consisting of deeds and other papers connected with the company and their insurances were uninjured this afforded much satisfaction to the directors another iron safe belonging to mr hathaway whose office under the tower was consumed which was also in a recess in the wall was opened at the same time and a considerable sum in francs and bank-notes was taken out the walls of the west wing of the building which seemed to bulge outward were shored up in the afternoon and they are not now likely to fall cornhill presented a most desolate appearance the shops from finch lane to the termination of the street near the mansion house were all closed and the place presented a deserted and desolated appearance 
which contrasted with the bustle hitherto observed during business hours and the sight of the ruins forced very unpleasant reflections on the mind barriers were placed at the mansion house end of cornhill and across that part of the street between finch and birchen lanes and no person was allowed to pass except the firemen and persons on business all the avenues leading up to cornhill were also blocked up in like manner and at each barrier police officers and ward constables were placed to prevent people passing various schemes were devised by numerous individuals to pass these barriers and sums were occasionally offered to the police to be allowed to visit the ruins but without effect the city police kept the thieves away with their presence and activity and the conduct of the people was yesterday very quiet forming a contrast with the disorder got up by the swell mob on thursday last those who viewed the ruins at a distance appeared to wear an air of melancholy and no fire has occurred for centuries which has caused more universal regret on searching the ruins under the lord mayor's court office the great city seal was picked up with two bags containing two hundred pounds in gold uninjured on this discovery being communicated to the lord mayor and aldermen it caused much gratification it having been rumoured that the corporation would lose their charter by the loss of the seal but we did not hear it explained how this could be owing to the great body of fire underneath the ruins at the northeast angle of the exchange it was impossible for the firemen to ascertain until a late hour whether any injury had been done to lloyd's books which were deposited in a large iron safe inserted in the wall two engines had been played on it during the latter portion of the day in the presence of several of the committee it was opened when it was discovered that the fire had reached the books and partially consumed them in the drawers were cheques on the bank of england to a large amount and also bank of england notes to the amount of it is said two thousand five hundred pounds the notes were reduced to a cinder and on the drawers being opened the air rushing in on the tender fragments blew them over the exchange they were however very carefully collected and the cinders of the notes were with much trouble and caution put into a tin case which was taken to the bank and the words bank of england with the numbers and dates were distinctly traced the amount will in consequence be paid to the owners from what information could be obtained from the gentlemen who took possession of the box and who were understood to be underwriters it was the usual custom of the secretary not to leave any money or notes in the safe but to deposit the money in the bank which was done on the evening the fire took place the money and notes above mentioned and which were found in the safe belonged to a subscriber who on the afternoon of wednesday asked permission to deposit his money in the safe until the next day which was acceded to by the secretary some idea may be formed of his state of mind on arriving at the exchange on the following morning to see it on fire and he was in a state of distraction until the finding of the cinders of the notes yesterday which has in some measure calmed his feelings the underwriters are severe sufferers having left sums of money to a large amount in their desks which no doubt will never be recovered during the confusion on the discovery of the fire in removing some books from a room in the northeast corner in addition to five hundred pounds in bank of england notes which were taken to st michael's church twenty sovereigns in a bag were thrown out of the windows the bag broke and the sovereigns rolled about the pavement 
They were all picked up by the mob, who appropriated them to their own use. It is firmly believed that the overheating of the stoves caused the disaster which the nation has now to deplore. Wednesday was an exceedingly cold day, and large fires had been kept up from morning till night in the building. There is no doubt the fire had been spreading, to some extent, in Lloyd's rooms long before it was seen in the street. Some few months back, two watchmen were on the premises all night, but on the miserable plea of economy they were discharged, and the sacrifice of one of the finest buildings in the kingdom has been the consequence. We believe that most of our cathedrals and large public buildings are left without watchmen during the night, and we hope that the fate of the Royal Exchange will bring about a change in this respect. The merchants, who used to congregate on change, were accommodated in the Guildhall, and the members of Lloyd's met at the Jerusalem Coffee House, but these arrangements were afterwards modified. The Royal Exchange Insurance Company took Sir James Esdale's house in Lombard Street. Times for April 1838. The Royal Exchange. Yesterday the first day's sale of the materials of the Royal Exchange took place. It produced nearly two thousand pounds. The porter's large handbell rung every day at half-past four p.m. to warn the merchants and others that change ought to be closed, with the handle consumed, and valued at ten shillings, was sold for three pounds three shillings. The two carved griffins holding shields of the city arms, facing the quadrangle, thirty-five pounds. The two busts of Queen Elizabeth on the east and west sides, ten pounds fifteen shillings the copper grasshopper vein with the iron upright was reserved by the committee footnote still in use on the royal exchange End note. the alto relievo in artificial stone representing queen elizabeth proclaiming the royal exchange twenty one pounds the corresponding alto relievo representing britannia seated amidst the emblems of commerce accompanied by science agriculture manufactures etc thirty pounds the carved emblematical figures of europe asia africa and america a hundred and ten pounds the sale of the remainder of the materials etc it is understood will take place in about a month in the mansion house police court on ten january the lord mayor announced that he had received five letters relative to an individual who was going about the metropolitan suburbs frightening females to such an extent that they were afraid to go out at night as they were met by a man who under different disguises would suddenly appear before them and as suddenly disappear with terrible bounds which earned him the name of spring-heeled jack and he inspired such terror that the recital of the victim had to be taken with caution whoever he was or why he so acted was never known as he was never taken but certainly robbery had no part in his escapades for he was quite content with paralyzing the poor women with fright the first facts i can gather about jack are at the latter end of eighteen thirty seven at barnes where he appeared as a large white bull at east sheen he was a white bear he then visited richmond and after having terrorized that town he went to ham kingston and hampton where he was clad in brass armor with large claw-like gloves teddington twickingham and hounslow were all visited by him and at illsworth we hear of him wearing steel armour in which he seems to have been attired when seen at uxbridge hanwell brentford and ealing 
at hammersmith he took the form of a huge baboon and as such was seen in the moonlight dancing at kensington palace over and anon climbing over the forcing houses he varied his localities frequently one day being at peckham another at st john's wood and anon at forest hill this about brings up to the time of its being mentioned by the lord mayor the consequence of which was that a committee was formed at the mansion house for the purpose of receiving subscriptions and deciding upon the best means of capturing this erratic genius probably feeling that he had sufficiently terrorized the districts before mentioned he turned his attention to the east end of london and particularly favoured bow a case is given in the times of twenty three february a gentleman named alsop living between bow and old ford appeared before the police magistrate at lambeth street then the thames police office accompanied by his three daughters one of whom stated that at about a quarter to nine o'clock on the evening of the twenty first february eighteen thirty eight she heard a violent ringing at the front gate of the house and on going to the door to see what was the cause she saw a man standing outside of whom she inquired what was the matter the person instantly replied that he was a policeman and said for god's sake bring me a light for we have caught spring-heeled jack here in the lane she returned to the house and brought a candle and handed it to the man who was enveloped in a large cloak the instant she had done so he threw off his outer garments and applying the lighted candle to his breast presented a most hideous and frightful appearance vomiting forth a quantity of blue and white flame from his mouth his eyes resembling red balls of fire from the hasty glance which her fright enabled her to get at his person she observed that he wore a large helmet and his dress which appeared to fit him very tightly seemed to her to resemble white oilskin without uttering a sentence he darted at her and catching her partly by her dress and the back part of her neck placed her head under one of his arms and commenced tearing her clothes with his claws which she was certain were made of some metallic substance she screamed out as loud as she could for assistance and by considerable exertion got away from him and ran towards the house to get in her assailant followed and caught her on the doorstep when he again used considerable violence tore her neck and arms with his claws as well as a quantity of hair from her head her story was fully corroborated by her parents and sisters and her injuries which were very considerable bore unmistakable testimony to the truth of the assault at the same police court on eight march eighteen thirty eight a miss scales deposed that as she and her sister were walking in limehouse about half-past eight in the evening on coming to green dragon alley they observed some person standing in an angle in the passage she was in advance of her sister at the time and just as she came up to the person who was enveloped in a large cloak he spurted a quantity of blue flame right in her face which deprived her of sight and so alarmed her that she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits which continued for several hours in this case no violence to the person was done he had a literature of his own i know of three pamphlets on the subject one from which is taken the accompanying illustration is entitled authentic particulars of the awful appearance of the london monster alias spring-heeled jack together with his extraordinary life wonderful adventures and secret amours also on account of his horrible appearance to miss n and his singular letter to the lord mayor of london 
there is much more to be related of jack but space will not permit but whether too much attention was beginning to be paid to him with a view to his capture or whether his love of mischief had died out cannot be told but certain it was that nothing was known publicly of this singular being after april eighteen thirty eight having kept london in a ferment of excitement and terror for about six months there is an amusing police case anent lord john russell's hat times eight february thames police court yesterday a poor woman named marianne blay who stated that she resided at limehouse applied to mr ballantyne and mr broderip the magistrates to request their interference under very odd circumstances the applicant stated that about three or four months ago she was on her way home from poplar where she had been purchasing some vegetables when she saw something black lying on the ground she first supposed it was a piece of coal but on stooping to pick it up discovered it was a hat she walked onward with the hat in her right hand until she reached the commercial road when she was met by a policeman who asked her where she had got the hat she informed him that she had picked it up at the corner of the new road and the policeman looked at it and saw the name of lord john russell on the inside he demanded the hat of her and on her refusing to give it up to him he seized the hat and took her into custody she was locked up in the station-house and on the following morning was brought before the sitting magistrate at that office the justice after hearing the policeman's statement directed her to be discharged and gave orders that the hat should be detained for a certain time in the station-house and if no owner was discovered that it should be given up to her she had since made repeated inquiries of the police but could obtain no information from them nor any redress for the false imprisonment she had suffered mr ballantyne asked the applicant if she was sure the hat belonged to lord j russell the woman said there had been a white bait cabinet dinner at mr lovegross west india dock tavern blackwell on the night she found the hat and lord john russell was one of the party mr ballantyne well i don't understand how his lordship could lose his hat at the corner of the new road the woman said it was supposed that lord j russell had put his head out of the carriage window and looked back to see if his friends were following him when his hat fell off his head and as he was a lord he would not stop until it was picked up again laughter mr ballantyne what do you want me to do in the matter the applicant said she wanted to know to whom the hat belonged mr ballantyne why i should say it belonged to lord john russell the woman said the hat was worth a guinea and that if she had accepted five shillings from the policeman and given it up to him he would not have taken her into custody she thought it was very hard to be subject to such tyranny because she had picked up lord john russell's hat for she had done no harm to the crown of it she supposed lord john russell was in liquor or he would have ordered his carriage to stop and picked up his hat roars of laughter in which the magistrates could not help joining you may laugh said the woman but it's all true what i say you may depend upon it the ministers don't eat whitebait without drinking plenty of wine after it you may be sure increased laughter i don't know why the gentlemen laugh i'm sure i was locked up all night away from my husband and children mr ballantyne said it was very singular the woman could not recollect what night it was she picked up the hat and the number and letter of the policeman who took her into custody the applicant said she was too much alarmed at being locked up in the station-house and brought before the magistrate to recollect what night it was or the policeman's identity 
Mr. Ballantyne said it was a very odd affair, and he would direct the books to be searched to ascertain when the woman was brought before the magistrate. Soon afterwards the woman was again brought up. Mr. Ballantyne said it appeared from the minutes that she was brought before him on Tuesday, the 3rd of October, last, on suspicion of stealing a hat, and that the policeman said that he had stopped her at two o'clock in the morning with a hat in her possession. It appeared that he had discharged her, but no mention was made of the hat belonging to Lord John Russell. If that fact had been mentioned to him, he would have ordered the hat to be restored to his lordship immediately. The applicant, I am sure it is his lordship's hat. There is Lord John Russell inside of it quite plain. It's a new one. Mr. Ballantyne, very well, an inquiry shall be made about the hat, and you can attend here to-morrow, and we will let you know what has become of it. I think Lord John Russell has the best claim to the hat, if he has not already got it the sequel times ten february on thursday marianne blay again appeared before mr ballantyne upon the subject of lord john's hat she adhered to her old story that the hat had the noble home secretary's name in it when she picked it up but it had subsequently been torn out after it was taken out of her possession mr ballantyne examined the hat and said it was a dirty greasy hat a boy's hat and that he would not give sixpence for it the policeman who took the woman in custody declared that the woman's statement was altogether a fabrication and that the hat never had the name of lord john russell in it mr ballantyne said he would make no order about the hat and if the woman thought she had been wrongly imprisoned she might seek her remedy elsewhere End of chapter three